You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Finished, The End of the World and Our Way of Living in It. In this series, we see that the powers and principalities of this world are finished, and our depraved way of living in this world is finished. Christ leads us into a new way of being human, and eventually, an entirely new creation. Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas faced straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he explained, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, My friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. The others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's leg, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told them. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for twelve legions of angels to protect us, and he will send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. Peace be with you. Uh, wow, another hard text. Uh, the, the last time I preached in this series on the Gospel of Matthew was the seven woes, seven harsh judgments that Jesus proclaimed against the Pharisees. The time before that, uh, I had to preach on the cleansing of the temple, where Jesus enters the temple and he's flipping over tables, he's tossing chairs, drives out the money changers. He has harsh words for the religious leaders of the temple and the culture that they had created. And now this. Can't I get a text where I can just preach, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life? You want that too. It's been a hard year. And here we have a text that demonstrates how all of us are rebels against God needing to be saved by the only sinless person who has ever lived, Jesus Christ. And his teaching earlier in the Gospel of Matthew prepared us to accept this. Think back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 21, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Whoa, some kind of moral equivalency between murder and name-calling? If I had a dollar for every time I've called someone an idiot in my life or words like that, then I would, I would be Elon Musk throwing around money up here. This is a very inconvenient text for me. How about this one? Verse 27. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus sets the bar higher than our legs can jump. In fact, 
the testimony, the full testimony of Scripture is that all of our sins against each other, no matter how petty, are capital crimes against God. Pastor Jonah preached on this a few weeks ago. Matthew 25, verse 45, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Everyone, black and white, rich and poor, male, female, young and old, all of us are guilty of all manner of sin and complicit in the execution of God the Son. Until you see the cross as something you did to Jesus, you can't fully understand or accept it as something that Jesus did for you. And maybe, maybe that's a hint that some good news is hiding in this text. Probably. I mean, that's why you're here. Life is tough, and you hope, or you hope that God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Maybe there's some much-needed comfort and grace, even in this text. And maybe we'll learn how to grab hold of it, to find some relief from the vague feeling of constant guilt, of not measuring up to some standard. Maybe. Let's find out. Matthew 26, verse 48. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. This would have been a light kiss on the lips. In that culture, it's what you did for family, or for your best friend, or for your favorite mentor or teacher, someone who is instrumental in shaping you into the kind of person that you become. So for Judas to choose this as the signal was the ultimate sign of disrespect. He wanted to hurt Jesus. Have you ever metaphorically stabbed someone in the back? Remember that all sin against people is ultimately a sin against God. And we were even prepared to accept this way back in the Old Testament, thousands of years before the events of today's story, when God gave the law to Moses and told him to share it with the Israelites. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor, dot, 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 and then it goes on to describe several other ways that we wrong our neighbors besides deceiving them. But the key is that when we wrong someone, we are being unfaithful to the Lord. Then Leviticus goes on to describe how we can make restitution to the people we've hurt. And after we do that, it says, verse 6, as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is, to the Lord, their guilt offering. None of us are literally Judas, but if you betray someone, if you set someone up to fail, if you uh, lay some kind of trap for someone, you commit character assassination on someone with your words, it's as if you've done it to the Lord. Verse 51. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Now, only the most skilled of warriors could intentionally slice off an ear with a big sword. Think about how hard that would be to do. This is some serious Jedi master kind of stuff. 
And we know from the Gospel of John, John's account of this, this same incident that this disciple was Peter, not a Jedi master, not a skilled swordsman, a fisherman with volatile emotions. So he probably, he's just overcome with emotion and he takes this wild swing and the guy ducks and Peter almost misses completely, but he catches the ear. Give a shout at your kids because you, you just come home and you've had a bad day at work and you take it out on them, you snap. Give her snap at your spouse because they remind you of some commitment that you made. Or lay on the horn because the driver in front of you has the audacity to be driving the legal speed limit. We all do these things. We know that they're wrong, but we still do them. But how about when we confront injustice and we decide to take matters into our own hands? Peter was defending Jesus. We think we can lash out when it's for a good cause. Even something as common as social media squabbles, even in that, Christians can get nasty when we think we're defending Jesus or the things that he stands for. Verse 55. Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. The arrest of Jesus had been a long time coming, but the authorities didn't have the guts to do it openly because of how much the common people loved Jesus, how much support he had from them. So his enemies waited. They conspired. They picked their spot. Do you ever engage in office politics? You don't have to be an executive in the C-suite of a Fortune 500 company to engage in office politics. Baristas do this. Farmhands do this. Rumor has it there are even salespeople at small paper companies in Scranton, Pennsylvania, who do this kind of thing. There's a, there's a Dwight Schrute in every room. Sometimes we're the Schrute. Whispering behind someone's back. Participating in rumors. Forming these little informal alliances with some people against other people. Is there any hope in this text? Let's press on. Verse 56. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Do you ever hide the fact that you're a Christian or maybe just downplay it? You, you, you don't share the gospel with someone because you're afraid of how they might respond, what they might say, what they might think, how they might treat you. Have you ever overlooked someone who needed your support, who needed your help? Maybe you act like you didn't see what was going on. You ignore a phone call. Pretend you didn't get that email. You didn't see that text in time. Men, have you ever witnessed a female coworker being harassed at work or overlooked or maybe just left out of conversations in the break room? Is that how your Lord treated Mary of Bethany when she wanted to study his theology with the guys? Is that how he treated the woman at the well in Samaria who was there alone in the middle of the day? Of course not. Jesus is our example, but too often he is not our inclination. Verse 57, then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. 
where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Their Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, met in a special room in the temple, a special courtroom. This is a secret night meeting in the high priest's home. Imagine if a Floyd County judge hauled you to his house late at night for a special impromptu trial. Seem legit? Nope. This is a sham trial, and they had to conduct their business quickly before Jesus' popularity with the common people forced his release. Verse 59, inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Do you ever try to build a case for your argument, whether it's politics, theology, health, education, sports for that matter, and your, your research isn't so much a search for truth as a search to validate what you want to believe? We look through blogs, we visit alternative news sites, just trying to find someone who agrees with us. We play with statistics. We take quotes out of context. We can't even have a healthy discussion of the news anymore because everyone gets their news from sources who back up what they want to believe, who, who are kind of in their camp, whether that's on the right or that's on the left. Verse 62, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God. In other words, he's putting him under, under oath now. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, which is a reference to the cosmic ruler that the prophet Daniel had prophesied about 500 years before the events of today's story. So let's go there. We'll take a trip 500 back further in time, 500 years further back in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. The fact that Jesus appropriated this old prophecy for himself causes the high priest to flip out. Back in Matthew 26, verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, blasphemy. Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering, prophesy to us, you Messiah. Who hit you that time? What does all this say about our human race? 
nothing good. But what's good for us is what all this says about Jesus. We did all that to him, and he went to the cross for us anyway. You know, earlier in this story, after Peter had cut off the ear, Jesus told him to put away his sword. He said to him in verse 53, don't you realize that I could ask my father for 12 legions of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantly? 12 legions is 72,000 angels, 72,000 supernatural warriors. That would vastly outnumber the temple guard. And in fact, was way more troops than even most armies could field in large battles back in those days. Jesus is saying, I'm way too much for the authorities to handle if I wasn't determined to fulfill the prophecies of my own scriptures because of how much I love you. See, Jesus has always existed equally God with the Father and the Spirit. They share one nature, one essence, one will. The Son's divine will is the Father's will from all eternity. Now the Son has taken on human nature, human will. And in his human nature, his human will, he obeys the will of a father, which is the same as his own divine will from all eternity. And what this means is no greater power forced him to do this. He did this for love because the triune God is love. It's very important to understand this. It is totally correct, theologically correct to say that the son went to the cross to obey his father's will for his father's glory. It is also theologically robust, totally correct to say that the son freely gave his life because he loves us. Both of these things are true. What he's about to do for us on the cross removes our guilt, brings us into the family of God forever, and gives us a new motivation for living Remember that when Jesus began his public ministry, he preached from part of Isaiah 61, a prophecy from 700 years before the birth of Christ that foretold what Jesus would do. The part he quoted said this, Luke 4, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And here's what the continuation of that prophecy in Isaiah said about these people whom Jesus would liberate. Isaiah 61, verse 3. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. Author Joe Saxton describes how this promise, which originally applied to an ancient nation, applies more fully to people that Jesus has redeemed from every nation by his work. She writes, it's amazing to think that people who are living in exile, broken people, will one day be oaks they will be strong, mature, liberated people displaying God's splendor through their redeemed identities. And these once broken ones, these oaks, 
will rebuild the ruined cities and restore the abandoned places in their ravaged society. We show the world a new purpose of following behind the rescuer as part of his rescue team, transforming lives and communities with a message of good news. We don't have to pretend anymore. We know the truth about ourselves. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's commands. We sang this earlier this morning. But Christ has removed our guilt. He has given us his spirit to renew us, to open our eyes to our own sin so that we could receive forgiveness and strength to overcome it and then do meaningful kingdom work that testifies to the truth that Christ brings us peace with God and a desire to see all of his creation flourish. So this is my Monday challenge for you, something to begin doing tomorrow Get with your spouse or a friend, a roommate, uh, preferably a community group or a larger group of friends. And this is a doozy. Uh, Essentially, I want you to obey James chapter 5, verse 16, which says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. But I'm going to put a spin on it because many of us reach for the easy sin that doesn't necessarily reveal too much about ourselves or make ourselves look too bad. You know, think back to like when you're trying to get a job, you go for a job interview and the interviewer asks you, tell me some weakness that you have as an employee. You got to think quick because you want the job, right? You don't want to say anything that's not going to rule you out. And so you say, well, you know, I guess my weakness is sometimes I just care too much. Come on now. So Whether you can do what I'm about to suggest with one person or with a group of people, I want each of you to take turns asking the person next to you this question. What do you hope I won't ask you about? This question cuts through so much clutter. So you might want to write it down or take a screenshot or just determine that you're going to remember this. If you're a community group leader, definitely remember this. You could pull this out for years to come with your kids, with those that you're in an accountability relationship with, those that you're mentoring or discipling. What do you hope I won't ask you about? Is it how much effort you're putting into your marriage, your parenting, your job, your friendships? Is it about whether you're giving to the church Is it about that person that you always try to avoid? Is it about whether you're loving your neighbor in any tangible way? Is it about your prayer life or that old grudge? What do you hope I won't ask you about? And when it's your turn to answer, do it honestly. Receive the prayers of your sisters and brothers, and then you pray for them, knowing that Christ is forgiven and he will forgive every time and empower you with a new motivation, not to earn your keep in God's family, but to joyously go about the family business. You see, one day Jesus will return with those legions of angels to set up his never-ending kingdom of love, joy, and peace. Every eye will see. Every knee will bow. 
Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But until then, we get to be the ambassadors of that kingdom now. We get to feed the hungry now. We get to lift up the hands that hang low. We get to make straight the path for justice and righteousness. We get to speak to every mountain that sin has raised and say, be cast into the sea. You have no power here. You are part of an old world that is fading away. We get to proclaim the king is coming. And we get to preview the feast of the coming kingdom of God every week, remembering why and how we received our invitation. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Do you know why Jesus did that? Do you know why he did all of that for you? Because God loves you. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.